Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Dave Crouch, and this is Policy Talks, formerly known as the Public Affairs Roundtable, as the Town Hall Meeting, and as the Legislative Update. But uh, our Millennial uh, Director of Gov Government Affairs, uh, Kel McDowell, came up with a name that, that uh, we feel like uh, fits what we do here. And so in the future, you will be seeing this uh, event called the Policy Talks. And uh, so we're uh, happy to have you with us here at Columbia State this morning. Uh, got uh, our audience on Channel 3 uh, WCTV, and uh, we think we have WAKM as well with us. And uh, we appreciate all of you being with us this morning. The, uh, our special guest today, uh, back as we always do the first of the year, have our legislative delegation from Williamson County. Uh, I shouldn't say headed by, but uh, uh, going by seniority now, uh, our uh, Senate, uh, I have to stop and think, Jack, uh, majority leader, uh, and uh, representing the 23rd District here in Williamson County, Senator Jack Johnson. Uh, next to him, our 63rd District uh, State Representative, Glenn Cassida. Uh, next to him, uh, 65th District uh, Representative, Sam Whitson. And Brandon Ogles from the 61st District, uh, our uh, newest member of our delegation with us. Brandon, glad to have you. The beard looks good. Uh, and uh, Glenn and I are uh, following along many, many steps behind you there. So just, uh, just as a refresher, Jack, uh, in addition to being speaker of the, um, not speaker, um, majority leader, I'll get these titles straight by the time we're done here in April or May. But uh, in addition to that, uh, very important uh, and influential spot in our state Senate. You're on, uh, I just, I'm cheating here, but you're on the Senate Calendar Committee, Senate Commerce and Labor Committee, Finance, Ways and Means Committee, Joint Pensions and Insurance Committees. All of those are uh, pretty important. The Finance, Ways and Means may be the most important, though. Uh, what uh, we'll get into what you see coming from those, but uh, what do you see being a member of those committees? How you can help Williamson County, maybe the most. Okay, thanks, Dave. Good morning, everyone. Great to be back with you. It's another year. It seemed like yesterday we were just just here. It's hard to believe it's been several months. But uh, so thanks, Dave. Uh, so my in serving my capacity as a majority leader, it, it puts me in a number of spots. And uh, one of the things that, that made me very interested about uh, serving as uh, running for majority leader within my caucus is the fact that I sponsor all of the governor's legislation. Okay. So I'm the prime Senate sponsor of the governor's legislative package, including the budget. So the $38.6 billion state budget I'm the Senate sponsor of and need to make sure that gets passed in the Senate. No pressure at all. There's no pressure in that. Uh, but, but that has put me in a new capacity that I'd not really been that much a part of prior to that. Mm -hmm. Ten years prior to that, I was chairman of the Commerce and Labor Committee, which I'm still on. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But I'm really enjoying getting into doing a deep dive into the budget and the budget process. So leadership, uh, majority leader for me, you, you, by default, you serve as a member of the Finance, Ways, and Means Committee, which is the budget committee. We decide, you know, what we spend our tax dollars on. And similar process in the House. So uh, I meet, uh, officially meet weekly, speak much more frequently than that with the governor, with his staff, 
about his legislative initiatives. Big day yesterday, I don't know if we, I know we don't talk a lot about social issues here, but a big day yesterday with his pro-life announcement, I will be the prime Senate sponsor of that legislation. Now, uh, I may work with other senators on that legislation, so I may have other senators that sign on second line, and I have them carry the bill in committee and work with it in various capacities. So we certainly share in that, that responsibility, but my name will be top line on that. So I guess the biggest yeah. change for me becoming majority leader, last year was my first year in that role, is getting to work with the governor. And I, we talked about this last year, but we coming into last year's legislative session, we had a brand new governor, we had a brand new Senate majority leader, and we had a brand new House majority leader. And the House majority leader carries all the governor's stuff in the House. So we were all new to our positions. But I think we had a very successful first session, and we're going to build and grow on that this year. Right, right. Glenn Cassidy, you're now uh, Regular member of the, the House. Yes. You're uh, on the, uh, your vice chair of the Naming, Designating, and Private Acts Committee. Yep. That could uh, be dangerous. But, it uh, is going to be dangerous. <laughs> uh, you're on our Transportation Committee, the State Committee, the Department of Agencies, and Sub Department and Agency Subcommittee. Yes. Uh, any priorities there that uh, we'd like to know about? You know, I, I was going to tease you, but uh, it kind of dovetails. The, my new role has been uh, the guy with blonde hair and a, and a blonde beard. I, I, I have, uh, this past week, I've sat down with two interest groups came to me and just was just seeking strategy on how to pass their agenda. And so because of my age uh, and because of my experience, I I've, I've regularly meet with members on helping them, directing them on how to pass their bill uh, and how, just how things work down there. So I kind of enjoy my senior citizen role in the legislature, uh, but I'm excited to be on transportation that, uh, that Sam chairs one of the committees of, and I've got a couple of DUI bills I'm working on that I think will make an impact with the state of Tennessee on helping us combat uh, driving under the influence and the deaths and the lives that it ruins and takes. Good, good, good. Sam Whitson, District 65, you're uh, the chair of the Infrastructure Committee. I want you to tell us a little bit more about that, but you're on the Transportation Committee, the Health Committee, the Finance, Ways and Means Committee again, uh, similar to our speaker, not speaker, our majority leader. Somebody write that down. <laughs> Get that straight. And uh, Finance Ways and Means Subcommittee. Um, the, uh, I think many of us are very interested in transportation, but what is the infrastructure committee that you chair? Well, thank you, Dave. Yes, it's the, uh, there's two subcommittees in the transportation committee full. There's uh, safety, uh, and Glenn created that, which really helps us out uh, kind of so we can focus on particular issues. And mine is the infrastructure uh, subcommittee, and Glenn uh, may be chairman last year of that. And uh, I work closely with Chairman Dan Howe, who is the chairman of the full <coughs> transportation committee. Dan has been meeting a lot with the governor and, uh, and the other members to make sure that we keep infrastructure in the forefront as we go forward. Not just roads, but we're talking about broadband and rail and such. So that I think you'll see a lot of push from our committee members to the administration that this is an opportunity to take advantage of our economic conditions in the state to do one-time projects, get uh, catch up and uh, on these uh, projects that we have uh, out there. Uh, still a lot to do on the Improve Act, but we're blessed in Williamson County. I think we have most of our projects uh, now listed on the three-year plan. That means that it will be done. Now, it doesn't mean it'll be done in three years, but it will be done. Uh, there's a lot of steps in that process. So. Um, 
it's and I'm again first time uh, the speaker uh, Sexton appointed me to the finance full and subcommittee. There's a lot of work on that committee, and uh, it's like Jack said, you have to you know dive deep into the details, and I uh, look forward to doing that. And uh, five committees, it's going to be a full-time job this session. Sounds like it. Sounds like it. Brandon Ogles, uh, you're on Judiciary, Criminal Justice, Subcommittee, Finance, Ways and Means Committee. So we've got that committee uh, covered well. You're on the subcommittee there as well. And the Joint Pensions and Insurance Committee. Uh, what do you think are the notable things that you might be able to accomplish as a member of those committees well also the big surprise was uh, getting placed on probation and parole by the governor which is his task force which i um i think they were a little surprised because you know we've been something we say up there all the time is vote your district vote your conscience uh i've got a little different perspective on some of the issues in criminal justice because i do represent northern williamson county and some of the issues we're looking at statewide as far as recidivism and all that, you know, people from Brentwood and North Williamson County don't want crime from Nashville coming down into Williamson County. So some of these numbers that we're trying to fix and some of the data we're trying to adjust, you know, people in my district are calling it catch and release. You know, we, we, won't, we don't want people that are committing violent crimes and sexual crimes to be released early. We want them to stay in jail. We want them to uh, do their time. Um, so that's, that's a committee I've been put on, spending a lot of work there. Uh, and really uh, um, enjoying the work. It's very fulfilling. Right. We do have some crisis in Tennessee. There's some numbers that we're are, are dismal as far as crime, uh, crimes against women. Uh, some of the uh, related crimes with firearms are pretty bad in the state. So we've got a lot of work to do there. Uh, I, I will say that you know that that topic is getting a lot of press, mm -hmm. but that, that that does not mean we're trying to let bad people out of jail. Uh, people with drug addiction, um, failure to pay some fines, stuff like that, mental health, we're trying to get them help, get them help quickly, quickly, get them in the system, get them out. Uh, but that's an effort to focus our time on the hardened criminals, the people that are hurting you, the people that are uh, breaking into your house, hurting children, hurting women. Uh, that's the focus on some of the reform, and that's the part that I'm, uh, I'm really focused on and kind of I would say grump, grumpy may be a good word. It's probably more. You haven't smiled yet this morning. Uh, well, I'm aggressive on that. I, I, I'm not a pacifist when it comes to violent crime or people that hurt women and children. I don't have any tolerance for that. Yeah. People in my district don't as well. So we're going to hammer down on that as best we can and be sure that um, the governor and the whole state of Tennessee hears uh, Williamson County and where we stand on that. Yeah. Well, the governor's stated his desire to. Uh, I don't. I, I wasn't. I didn't. That wasn't something I expected to get to this morning. But uh, he's expressed a desire to look like soften things up a little bit, put more emphasis on rehabilitation and that sort of thing instead of punishment. So. Well, I, I think there's probably we've got a little bit of a messaging issue there. I, don't, I wouldn't say it's a softening. Uh, what we know by studying the data is actually. If you come into the prison system, uh, the criminal justice system, and you've committed, say, a drug offense or a vehicular uh, a, a moving offense with your car, uh, something like that, the longer you stay in the system, the actually, the more violent you do become. Okay. So the focus is to actually uh, get you help, 
outside the system, get you back uh, employed, let you actually uh, contribute to society and pay your taxes, yeah. pay your fines, uh, pay your debt quickly, uh, get out of the system, do what you're told to do, mm -hmm. which is report, pass a drug test, um, and then get back to work and don't come back. Uh, but I wouldn't say it's a softening, it's more of a active engagement and getting people to do the right things, getting them employed, empowering them with the tools uh, to thrive in society rather than get by or be in the shadows or take yeah. from other people. Uh, I, I wouldn't call it softening, I would call it more of a realignment. I don't know much about prisoners, but um, they say the longer, if you put a dog on the chain, the longer you, he stays on the chain, the meaner he gets. So. Uh, maybe there's a correlation there. I don't know, but uh, the uh, I apologize for that. But uh, <laughs> the uh, governor has kind of stirred things up right off the bat this year. He came out earlier and uh, announced that he was going to uh, accept refugees in the state of Tennessee. Uh, apparently, a surprise to most of us, and uh, has since. Uh, uh, gotten with uh, the lieutenant governor, it looks like, and uh, they've crafted a bill to uh, um, pretty much stop abortions after the detection of a heartbeat. Um, but yet he hasn't come out specifically with a, a major initiative for the year that I've heard yet, Jack. The, uh, uh, last year we had, uh, help me out, uh, the, uh, well, one year it was the gas tax, one year it was the uh, Medicaid expansion, um, and last year it was uh, the ESAs, the vouchers. Uh, is there a major initiative, or is this the major initiative? That uh, Well, I think there's a number of initiatives. Uh, <clears throat> I, I think you, you mentioned ESAs. ESA was one small part of a fairly comprehensive education reform package that we passed for the state of Tennessee last year including expanding vocational technical education, uh, the GIVE Act, the Governor's Investment in Vocational Education. So now ESA sucked all the oxygen out of the room, but, but really when you look at the scope of the, the, the legislation we passed last year, it was fairly comprehensive. ESAs were, was a fairly small part of that. This year, I think, uh, back on what, what Brandon was saying, <clears throat> you're going you're gonna to have a couple of things. One is going to be uh, the, probably the biggest will be criminal justice reform. And, uh, and Brandon did, did a great job of kind of touching on it. Uh, I'll, I'll add a couple of things uh, just for color. Uh, those of you, many of you in Williamson County are familiar with our recovery court program here in Williamson County. We have one of the best uh, recovery courts and that's, that's for DUI court, it's uh, drug court, veterans courts, you know, for <clears throat> to provide, I guess you could call it specialized, you know, attention for a specific type of, of, of offense. And we have all attended drug court graduations numerous times and, and support it. And, and full disclosure, my wife is a judge. She's part of that. She's very passionate about it as well. But what you see is when someone goes through a two-year drug court program, the, the recidivism rate, uh, I think, is something less than 20%. The recidivism rate for someone who goes to prison for two years is 80%. Okay, so we know it works. We know that someone who goes through an intensive drug court uh, treatment, <coughs> drug court is over about two years. It, it involves, you have to have a job, you have to be subjected to regular drug tests, 
you go to treatment, you do some jail time, you get some shock incarceration, so you get a little taste of it, so you know what it's like to do it, but you're more or less able to work a job, raise your kids, be at home, cook dinner, help them with their homework, you know, that type of thing. So it's a better, it, not only is it better, and, and by the way, we don't have to pay for a prison bed, right? So it is truly a win, 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 all the way across the board. Now we're doing it quite well in Williamson County, but other parts of the state don't have the resources, don't have the, the ability to do it. So that's just one piece of criminal justice. As Brandon said, it's being smart on crime. It's not about being tough or soft on crime. It's about being smart. Because at the end of the day, when someone commits an offense, what's the, what's the outcome? Don't do it again, right? Go back and be a productive member of society. Learn your lesson. That's the outcome. And we have 90, I think 95 people, 95% I mean, of the people in our prisons today are going to get out. Only 37% of those are going to have any type of supervised release, meaning they flatten their sentence, they, they get handed a bag with their clothes back in it, and there's the door, and you send them out. And guess what? About 80% of those people are going to be back in the prison. So criminal justice reform, it's, it's hard to get it into a soundbite. Governor Lee has introduced, and the, the bills are in my office now, they're not publicly available yet, but they soon will be. There's five bills that, <clears throat> that are being drafted right now, have been drafted by the governor's office. My, <clears throat> my attorneys are reviewing them right now. We'll have those jacketed and filed soon, and they'll be out there and we can talk, talk more about it. But, uh, but I expect that to be, if you want to say kind of what's going to be the governor's big push, right. I'd, say, I'd say criminal justice reform continued education reform. You're going to see some more, more things change with regards to both K-12 and higher education. And then obviously the pro-life initiative that he introduced yesterday. Okay. Dave, let me yep. piggyback on that too, because there's a couple of things he initiated last year that he will continue to push this year that will greatly benefit at least my part of the district, broadband expansion mm -hmm. and vocational education expansion. Okay. Uh, we've got to bring broadband to the rural parts of the state and southeast Williamson County, and I guess for that matter, southwest Williamson County, uh, <laughs> is, 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 it's to, to, it brings business and it brings prosperity to everybody. And so that, that's, it will continue that initiative, and that's very important. Uh, and then, of course, vocational education. We've got too many young people going to college, getting a degree in philosophy or things that, that doesn't benefit them career-wise, and they come out with a $100,000 debt, where an electrician or a plumber is making $100,000 a year, and we desperately need those. So those are two things that uh, we will continue to expand on and, uh, and help bring prosperity to the rural parts of the state. Tennessee overall is one one of the top states in the union on, on growth of income and growth of jobs and new business. We're one of the top states of inflow of population and inflow of business because of the policies of Governor Lee and Governor Haslam, the, uh, the conservative leadership in the House and Senate, and we're going to expand on those as well. We're getting totally off my uh, agenda here, but uh, Sam, you spent a lot of energy on uh, the Katie Beckett bill last year. I understand there's some follow-up uh, coming on that uh, program. Yes, it's at, uh, the, right now it's at the uh, federal level to be approved. It, it, they need to uh, help us uh, make sure that the money's spent correctly. Yes. And so, uh, but it's, we're waiting for a decision from the federal government before it's fully implemented. But it's, uh, it's on track and we expect it not to be a problem. If I could just piggyback real quick, we do have a success story on criminal justice here in, in our county, and that's the juvenile court uh, that we have with Judge Guffey and her team. For instance, uh, several years ago, we had 200 children 
uh, in DCS custody from our county. Now we're down to six through an aggressive parole, uh, probation, excuse me, program that they have put together. They need some more help on that. Uh, but again, uh, and they, they need a new facility too, uh, funded by the county. And uh, so uh, I noticed Tom's taking notes real good. <laughs> but anyway, uh, again, there is success stories out there that we can build on and reinforce that success when it comes to criminal justice reform. Right. Circling back to the budget, Jack, uh, it uh, appears that you gentlemen and ladies of the House and Senate have about 350 or 400 million dollars more this year to spend because of the growth in the economy in Tennessee and the increase in tax revenue. Um, some of that gets sucked up into automatic programs, I guess you would call them, like the BEP and so forth. How much discretionary money will you all actually be making decisions on how to uh, allocate? Uh, so, yeah, that, you, you're exactly right. The, the normal growth for things that we don't have really any control over, non-discretionary type things, like 10 care, okay? We, we have to put a certain amount of money into 10 care, which is our state match, and we receive the federal dollars. Uh, BEP, if we're going to fully fund the BEP formula, which we have done, you know, we don't have to do that, but we've made a commitment that we are. That's fully funding public education and fully funding the BEP formula. Uh, you're looking at about $300 million before just in, in non-discretionary increases before you even start talking about teacher raises, state employee raises, or, or other types of things. So, it, so, so you're right, it does get, get, it get eaten up. Having said that, though, I, I want to make sure everybody knows the state of Tennessee right now is in the best fiscal condition it has ever been in, ever been in. Um, our, our, our rainy day fund last year, we bumped it up to 1.1 million. Billion. Uh, that get a billion, thank you, 1.1 <laughs> billion. Does matter. Those extra three zeros at the end make a big difference. I have found. Um, There's so, about 999 more million in that. Yeah, in that so number. 1.1 billion dollars. That puts us at about seven percent of our state budget. We had set a goal that we wanted to be at about eight, uh, and so we're getting very close to that. But we've kind of made a, an agreement uh, among House and Senate leadership. Let's go ahead and try to get that up to 10 percent of our state budget, um, and so we'll, we'll continue to do that. Anytime we talk about the budget, and I, know, I, I always see people's eyes start glazing, glazing over here, mm -hmm. but this is critically important. We have recurring and non-recurring surpluses, okay, or, or deficits. And, and recurring means like getting a raise at your job, okay? You can count on that next pay period, the following pay period, on and on and on. Non-recurring money is, you know, your Aunt Edna passes away and leaves you $10,000 in her will, okay? You can't count on that every year. But because of the conservative way we plan for our budget, and we base our budget on, on revenue projections, we're very conservative with that. So if we project that we're going to have growth of 2.8% in the coming fiscal year, and we base our budget on that, and then revenue comes in at 3.2%, well, then we collected more than we budgeted. And I've had people say, you're overtaxing because you have these surpluses. Well, we could do just the opposite, and we could, we could budget you know, at the high end of that range and then come in shorthanded. I don't think you want us to do that. So, uh, so in most recent years, we've come into the fiscal year with an overcollection. We booked that as one-time money. The reason that's important is because when we look at things like the fourth building for Columbia State, uh, uh, infrastructure capital projects, these are one-time expenditures. And this, this will be our third fiscal year in a row. We have not borrowed a dime in the state. It's never happened in our state's history before. 
So in, in years past, if we wanted to build the fourth building for Columbia State or we wanted to build a new office building or a building at MTSU or University of Tennessee, we would build the building and bond it out over 20 years, right? And we'd make payments on that. We've been paying cash for all of that. We've been writing a check for all those capital expenditures. So our debt continues to drop. We're paying cash for those things, and it's just continuing to build and strengthen our financial position. So you're right. You, the, the, your question was how much discretionary over and above those. Well, if you add in state employee raises, um, teacher raises, some things that, uh, that are not required but that we want to do, we'd like to plan to do, it, it eats up that recurring surplus pretty quickly. Not, uh, you won't put a number on that figure. I want to make sure I said Judge Sharon Guppy. If I said Megan Guppy, I made a mistake. Did it? See her here. <laughs> she could probably tell us. <laughs> and Dave, the reason what Jack just outlined, a uh, very good professor, uh, how that applies to us on our day-to-day -day lives is states that are highly in debt, it has the effect of driving up the cost of living. It costs more to do business in those states. So if you live in California and the, and the average income is probably close to 70,000 per household and it's about 49 here, your money goes further in Tennessee because your taxes are lower and the cost of goods and services are lower. So that's why it's important to Tennesseans is because you can live here a lot less and a lot more economically than you can in those other states like New York, Illinois, and uh, California, just to name a few. That, uh, that tells us, um, I presume we're going to continue to see the hall tax go away, uh, things like that. Uh, you, our uh, struggling financial advisors and attorneys might see a little relief on the uh, professional privilege taxes. Is that in the works? or? Uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like I'm monopolizing the conversation, but the, the problem with the professional privilege tax is there's, for financial advisors, and I used to be one, um, is that there, I think, are a hundred and 50,000 uh, financial advisors from outside the state that are paying that. And then there's only about 10,000 or 20. I, don't hold me to those numbers, but it's something like that that, that are, and, and our feeling is we don't really necessarily feel that strongly compelled to make those out-of-state people not pay that. So what we're trying to do is constitutionally, though, we cannot apply it to out-of-state people and not in-state people. That's specifically to financial advisors. We're, we're working I, I on it, though. I think we can continue to pay it. So. <laughs> we love you, Dave, yeah. though. <laughs> it's just the attorneys I'm worried about, you know. The, they, the lobbyists are still paying as well, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, anyway. Uh, Jack, uh, Senator Johnson, you were kind enough to share with me uh, uh, the um, publication from the Tennessee Republican Caucus, Senate Republican Caucus, your preview of the 111th General Assembly. And uh, I figured out right quick that uh, there are a lot of things we're not going to get to this morning unless y'all want to stay till lunchtime. Uh, but uh, let's focus for a little while on education and uh, talk about uh, all the uh, education issues that are expected to come up. Uh, but first of all, let's talk about the most important one to us. And that's the Columbia State Building number four. Dr. Smith, are you with us? Come, come, come around here. And uh, of that 350 or 400 million, 27 million of it needs to come here because Columbia State needs one more building. Is that right, Dr. Smith? Always, yes. <laughs> Uh, we were very excited, and earlier, I didn't, some of you didn't see it, but we did have the new design up. 
uh, and we're working heartily on that. So if the funds do come, that we can come out of the ground or really start on it in, in July. But uh, a new feature has been added to it, which aligns with what the governor is doing with his Give Act and the like, and that is in vocational ed. We have teamed up with uh, TCAT Dixon. They will be on campus uh, if this new building comes through, and they will be offering a practical nurse program here, as well as a CNA program and a graphics arts program. So mm -hmm. uh, sorry, it's a nurse assistant program. <laughs> so anyway, we're excited about that and excited about the opportunity, and we certainly appreciate the support you all give us. We understand what has uh, occurred through the years, and we're very hopeful that uh, it will come this year. We've been had an increase uh, in the fall of students. We've got another increase this spring. Uh, we are at max, and uh, we uh, do not want to turn students away, but we are growing in that direction that we just don't have the room in the classes that they need. So it's a, a very important thing. And I also want to say in reference to the GIVE Act, we, I don't know that you know, but uh, it's been in the papers, we teamed up with the school system, the Williamson County Schools, put in for a uh, GIVE Act that will be working, uh, have a, uh, a bus that will go around, or not necessarily a bus, but a, a van, and working with cyber uh, defense in all of our schools. So we're very appreciative of the GIVE Act and what that's allowing us to do with the, the secondary schools. Columbia State's uh, certainly been uh, growing quickly since, uh, especially since the move over here to the new facility. And uh, of course, we always, I think every time I come in here, I think of our late uh, Representative Charles Sargent that uh, was so instrumental in uh, making that happen. It sounds like now is the, the governor's uh, uh, bill, boy, uh, what, what do you call the uh, majority leader, but uh, carrying the governor's uh, sponsors. Um, now you're going to have to try to fill those shoes, Jack, and, uh, and Brandon and, and Sam on the uh, House Ways, Finance Ways and Means Committee. Uh, we need you all to uh, uh, continue what's been going on here. I, I want to brag on Glenn for a minute, too. I know we had a meeting early in set, well, towards the end, where there were some appropriations and some money being allocated. I asked for some specific money going in, the, in some different places. And Glenn called me in with a big smile and said, you know, good news, Brandon. We got a lot of money for Columbia State. <laughs> I, I was confused because, you know, we had worked on that and that was part of the initiative. But uh, Glenn really did a good job. And I believe your children, uh, one of your children came yeah, to yeah. attended Columbia yeah. State. So in yeah. uh, his role, uh, Glenn was instrumental in securing some of that funding and really worked hard and championed Great. and uh, did a lot of work yeah. with that. Thanks. The, 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 the new building is number six on the list. Yeah. It is number six on the list. So that's, that's in, in, in terms of priority. So if we can fund six or seven or eight, it'll get done. Uh, if, if we can only fund four or five, it'll roll to next year. As I told you earlier, Janet, Jan, I'm cautiously optimistic. <laughs> okay, it, it, I, I, the, the, there's a chance. I'm saying there's a chance that we'll get it this year. In our contacts with the Tennessee Higher Education Commission, they understand our push and emphasis on this uh, critical need. Great, good deal. BEP formula is always uh, fodder for a, a meeting like this uh, because 
if you look at the numbers, uh, Williamson County gets less percentage of the state government than many of the rural counties. Uh, it's because of the Cool Springs Galleria and the surrounding shopping district that generates so much retail uh, sales that uh, that's what drives a lot of the BEP formula. But you all have made a huge effort the last couple of years to find a way to fund these high growth districts like Williamson County that have the capital needs to build new schools, which uh, generally are not in the operating budgets of the schools. What, uh, what do the prospects look like this year for those, uh, for, for that effort? Brandon? We're going to keep chipping away at that, and I, I, I want to tell a quick story about one of the first meetings I had up there. I, I, I tell jokes sometimes that are not well received by people that study finance and all that, and we came into a meeting, and I said, you know, in Williamson County, we call BEP broken economic policy, and I thought that people would laugh, and one of the analysts in the back said, Representative, that's not your joke. You said that to the Tennessean. So they, they take their analysts very serious, uh, and we need more money for Williamson County. But this is a very, very hard lift in the fact that the numbers in Williamson County are the best in the state almost in every data point. Highest income, highest test scores, uh, every county in the state wants to be Williamson County. Uh, we're the leader, tip of the spear. We contribute more to the state and get less back than just about everybody. Uh, but with that is, you know, it's hard for us to sometimes, you know, we have AstroTurf at Franklin and some of our new schools love it. Love the fact that we have turf. We can prove on data that long-term that saves us money, but it's hard for us to argue with a representative from East Tennessee that says, you have AstroTurf on your football field. We put a $100 bag of seed on our field every year. So don't tell me you need more money. We do, we're not funded proportionally but it is a uphill lift. Uh, it usually breaks about 70-30. The needs for Williamson County, we don't have a lot of people that will uh, side with us to bring more money to the high growth districts. There's some bills in, in the works now, and we found a little, there, there's a vein of funding that's not allocated that we're working on. Um, but be patient with us and be grateful for the problem we do have in Williamson County and that's the fact that we are sometimes put in a bad position because we are so blessed. Gwen, let, me, let me piggyback on that because in the past we've worked diligently just try to push it through because in our words it was fair. Well, fair is a word that doesn't exist in the legislature. Uh, I had an interesting thing happen to me. I had two Democrats come to me yesterday and ask, Glenn, let's form a Middle Tennessee caucus because we need more money for our schools and growth. They also represent. And so our strategy, we, I've talked to these guys, we've talked, our strategy is, is maybe switching the paradigm till we create an alliance of those schools that are growing fast. And let's become a united voice because you can sell, as the, as the slang goes, you can sell the dome off the Capitol if you get 50 votes in the House and 17 in the Senate. So we gotta come together with 50 votes in the House and 17 in the Senate. That's gonna be our key. Now, there's probably no one in this room that knows how to count votes in the House better than you, Glenn. Thank you. And as we know, it's, it's split somewhere between rural counties and urban counties. And like suburban. And it's it's suburban. kind of, I, Dave, I'd say it's okay. three, three, three tribes. <laughs> okay. How, do those, how many votes do we have in each of those 
Perhaps no. it's approximately a third, a third, a third, uh, to be exact. The in, on the House side, and I don't really know the Senate side, but on the House side, you've got about 28 to 30 what I call urban metro. They live in metro areas, uh, but a lot of those guys swing to the suburban side as well, and we're in the low 30s, about 33, 34, and then the, uh, the high 20s are a rule. So it's about a third, a third, a third, and it is. Each group has totally different uh, needs, wants, desires, and thought process. And I emphasize thought process because I look at some of my peers and I think, how in the world did you come up with that conclusion? <laughs> yeah. Sam, you're the uh, maybe the ultimate diplomat uh, of the three here. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> I am the oldest, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Got a military background. I don't know how that figures in. But uh, the, uh, do you see any... Uh, deals to be made? Is there a way to make some of this uh, come together? I, I agree with Glenn. I, I, on the, um, the urban, uh, suburban, and rural, that, I mean, a lot of good bills get hijacked or taken away because one group, can, it, it hurts one group and helps the other and right. such. And so uh, I think we all, I see a good spirit of cooperation up there, and, um, and we will continue to work closely with the other chamber to uh, get things done. I think we have a really good relationship between our speaker and the lieutenant governor. Uh, I think uh, Cameron Sexton actually helped get McNally on his campaign years ago. So they have this deep relationship that goes back for years. And uh, I think we can build on that. And um, I think we're very optimistic of what we can do this session. Um, and I think we all look forward to working together. Right. Let me, uh, well, go ahead and wrap it. I also want to say is that, you know, something Charles and I talked about uh, in depth was some of the goals for Williamson County are not short-term goals. Some of this we're going to work on for a decade. Yeah. And one of the initiatives that I've been real passionate about was putting at the school resource officers mm -hmm. in the schools across the state of Tennessee that don't have them. And everybody was a little perplexed in the fact that they said, well, you already have these. Why are you pushing so hard? Well, for one, it's the right thing to do. Uh, two, for us to ever get more for Williamson County for that growth and for those new schools, we have to have alliances in these rural districts. Mm -hmm. So sometimes to get something down the road, you have to work really hard and give first. So we're, we're giving and working really hard to secure those rural schools across the state. Uh, Tennessee is now at 73%, which is number one in the nation. Uh, the number two state is at 55%. So we're not leading the nation in this. We are lapping people. Uh, not to say that we're done. We're nowhere near done. That means one in four schools do not have security. We're going to get there soon. And it's, uh, it's an initiative worth taking. Housekeeping item there. Uh, getting some feedback on Glenn's mic. So <laughs> don't put your hand over it, Glenn. The, uh, uh, just as a housekeeper, uh, while we're taking a, a breather from issues here, we, uh, uh, we're about 20 minutes to go here, and I'm about a third of the way through the agenda I had uh, on, on tap. But we will leave some time for questions from the audience. We are going to ask you to, to put those in writing, and Kel McDowell has some... Uh, no, we didn't bring the cards. Okay. Okay, okay. I thought we were going to take them from the audience, but uh, that uh, we, we got plenty of, of things to cover, and I'm going to do my best to cover as much as we can this morning. 
and uh, these gentlemen can, I'm sure, spend a few minutes after the show to uh, ask any answer any questions you might have. The uh, Glenn, you alluded to the fact that there are going to be some more efforts on uh, education. Would it be on the voucher legislation, ESA legislation? What uh, what's what, what are you expecting there? Uh, on, on the ESA, I expect the the House, the Senate, and the Governor. Let's see if it works what we put in place. We picked two schools, two school LEAs, dismal, dismal test scores, very poor results. So we're trying something to help about 7,500 students out of, out of a state population of well, well over 1 million students. And let's just measure, let's see if it's successful. If it is, you may see us looking at how, how we can expand it, if it's successful, and only on failing schools. Uh, if it's not successful, you'll see us look at, look at something else. We can't continue to lose another generation of young people in failing schools, dangerous schools. And just because you live in a certain zip code, you should not be doomed to, to attend a failing school. Uh, so, so, and I have not seen, nor has anyone I understand, seen the governor's agenda uh, initiatives for the upcoming year. State of the state is Monday, and um, but I do expect him to expand upon vocational education. I just don't know what yet. Jack, A week from Monday. Week from Monday. Are you at liberty to um, share any thoughts about vocational and what we should expect to see there? Well, I think you'll see, uh, just kind of building on, on what, what the governor has done, that the educational component is probably the one that, that we have the least uh, intel or, or data on yet. Just so you know, the, the process, you know, we convened, what, a week ago, Tuesday, so, um, so, so we start. Uh, members are filing their bills right now. Our bill filing deadline for the, for the House is February 5th. For the Senate, it's February 6th. Uh, governor will give his State of the State February 3rd. And that's when he'll present his budget. Uh, so, so we, uh, things will happen pretty quickly over here, here over the next couple of weeks. Um, so, so no, I don't, I don't have really much to share to say about more educational um, uh, things, other than what you, maybe you've heard the governor say, just as he's been out and about in the state. But, uh, but a lot about criminal justice uh, uh, reform, and uh, and then obviously the pro-life legislation. Well, let's circle back to specifics next month then after we do hear the, the state of the state um, message and uh, get a little bit more. And, and the bill filing deadline will be, what, a couple of weeks. So we'll know what, uh, what's coming then. Uh, Nathan Bedford Forrest bust. Or you all want to talk about that a minute? Um, Brandon, you've kind of taken a lead on um, possibly moving the bust out of the Capitol building uh, to a museum. You want to? I don't know if stepping in something is called taking the lead sometimes. Uh, but I, I, I made a comment early in session that uh, hit the paper and um, got had to weigh in on that. Um, to, to me, that bus is not about honoring history or rewriting history. There's been some that said, you know, we're wa whitewashing and removing things. Uh, We've got a beautiful new state museum that we spent a lot of money, a lot of taxpayers' money to build. Uh, what was the price tag on that? Was it $150 million? $150 million of taxpayer money. And it's a beautiful building. It's a great place to tell stories and inform people of what happened and what didn't happen and tell a complete story. Uh, those buses, the, where, where they're positioned, if you haven't been up there, you should come 
visit us one day that we have the day on the hill soon where these buses are positioned are between the elevators and where we work and every activist that wants to come up to the hill and talk about something for some reason decided that's the place to sit and stand and scream and yell and throw things at members uh, and it is a distraction and that story's not being told what's what's happening is people are yelling they're chanting and it makes it almost impossible for us to do our job and it's a security nightmare so those buses I would hope get moved to somewhere you, where you can tell the story and tell the complete story so you can tell the good and the bad I mean everybody always remembers the best thing you do and the worst things you do everything in between is it forgotten so you know my hopes would be that the, the people that love history and want to honor history will put those buses in a place that that story can be told rather in a place where people can chant things and throw coffee at people because that I'm tired of you know I just it's unacceptable and it needs to stop and for the members that are specifically uh, have concerns that some of those buses you know yeah. it's offensive to some people and we need to take pause and 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 be respectful and you know we the, the focus being on history we're teaching the next generation here I, I'm not focused on the rearview mirror 200 years ago I'm focused on where we're going the next decade doesn't mean that I don't love the History Channel. Doesn't mean well. I don't read books. I'm not going to make that up. Uh, I don't read history books. Uh, I look at financial spreadsheets. So I would hope that story is told in a place uh, that it can be told, and that's not dishonoring history. That's just, to me, uh, common sense. Sam. Well, there may be an opportunity here to tell more about the story. A lot of people. There's two other individuals that we could create bus for. Uh, in the state of Tennessee. A lot of people, you heard of Andrews Air Force Base. Did you know Frank Andrews grew up about a mile from the state capitol, went to MBA, graduated from West Point, and was the, uh, a three-star general when he was killed in 1943. He took Eisenhower's place as commander of all U.S. forces in the European theater. We do not honor him anywhere. Also, a lot of people don't know the story of Nathan Bedford Forrest III, the last forest in the line. He was a Brigadier General in the United States Army Air Corps, killed in 1943, flying a B-17 against the Nazis, shot down, and he's buried in Arlington Cemetery. There's not a bus for him. Think about the opportunity this presents us, as he was saying, uh, to put that in the context of history. And, uh, and, and I'll tell you, I've talked to folks on both sides of this. There's a concern that if Forrest comes down, Farragut, Admiral Farragut, who uh, was born in Tennessee and led the Union uh, Navy during the Civil War, will stay. I think it's something should be done uh, in concert together when you take and there's an opportunity to honor these two other Americans that uh, shows how far we had come since the Civil War to his great-grandson who died, the first general officer in the European theater fighting Nazis. Yeah. And, and this is this is probably going to be the controversial part as well. And I forgot to mention, but some of my uh, more senior uh, elders have stated, you know, th those are graven images of men. They're 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 on a pedestal, and we have to look at those. But yet, we have no crosses in our capital. Glenn, you uh, have uh, known the more socially conservative uh, group of 
state representatives probably better than anyone. Uh, how do you balance this uh, conversation? I think change is painful, but change is good. Uh, I'll be seeing this, it's a resolution. We, we don't have direct oversight over what the busts that are in the Capitol, it's the historical commission. Uh, but there'll be a, uh, the committee I'm on on Tuesday will have a resolution asking them to remove that. Uh, the bust, and, and I support that. Uh, but I'm kind of coming from the same vein as Brandon. There's four busts in there, and I think there's probably dozens of Tennesseans that need to rotate in there and rotate out. So it's not just Nathan Bedford Forrest I support removing, uh, but all, uh, President Polk and President Johnson and, and Admiral Farragut, all those guys need to be rotated uh, because there are many great Tennesseans, past and present, that we should somehow... There we go. And so, uh, so that's where I'll be. Now, let's be clear, is, is even though it's a feel-good thing, this doesn't accomplish one thing. Tennessee and, and leaders in the state need to be focused on how do we help the next generation in the poor communities, the African-American communities, and for that matter, the Appalachia part of the state, be educated? How do we, bring, how do we make strong families so we don't have children being raised in single uh, parent households. That's the real problems. And if we want to solve the problems of society, we need to focus on that and less on statues. Gotcha. Jack? Yeah, so the, the way this works is that there's a capital commission and it's made up of us. Uh, yeah, yeah, cap, but, but from there it does go to the historical okay. commission as well. So they're both involved in it. And um, the governor controls seven of the 12 votes on the, on the state capital commission. Uh, either through citizen appointees or cabinet members that, that set on on that capital commission. So uh, I expect that uh, the governor has not weighed in yet, and uh, the capital commission meets on February 5th, I believe. And uh, and so there will probably be some conversations about it at that time. Okay. One more thing, too. A lot of folks don't know we have a Tennessee military museum in the basement of the uh, War Memorial Building. It's being renovated right now, and that's where we have the statues for the Korean War veterans, the Gulf War veterans, and the uh, Vietnam War veterans. So uh, there, that facility is going to be upgraded here in the near future. Good, good. Uh, drivers testing station lines. Um, I've been hearing a lot about that here in Williamson County because of the uh, increased demand for new driver's license because of the, the law that requires you to get a star on your driver's license. Do we have any hope of seeing those lines coming down? We went to Murray County, actually, to get ours. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Uh, there is, they did up the... Uh, the the uh, number of uh, folks to handle those. I encourage you, when you go in, go to the kiosk first, no matter what they tell you, and sign in there. It will expedite your uh, services there. Uh, this is a federal requirement. We have been kicking this can down the road for years and years and years. And the biggest problem is people are not bringing the correct documents. And remember this. It doesn't mean your driver's license is no good next year in October or in October if you don't have that star. October this year. You can still drive and it's still valid. But the problem is you can it's a federal requirement to have that verification, that star, if you're going into a federal building or to get on an airplane. But if you have the passport, a passport card or a military ID, a retired military ID, any kind of federal identification. You're, you can still get in on that plane. You can still get into that federal building. 
So I think there was a rush, people thinking their driver's licenses were no good, that they, uh, the other forms of ID would not get them into the facilities or on an airplane. So I think uh, I trust uh, our commissioner of safety and uh, to get this thing uh, as we progress. Who, by the way, the commissioner of safety is a friend of many in this room, our former sheriff, Jeff Long. So he wanted to be commissioner of safety. Hope he's liking it. <laughs> no, <I'm> <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, we, uh, if you're listening, we need to have you here with us next month. Uh, no, he's, he, he is doing a great job on it, and, 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 and Sam articulated it properly. There, there was some incorrect reporting leading into this past October. The, the, the cutoff time is October 2020, but some people thought it was October 19, so there was, a, there was a big rush of people to the driver's testing stations. And you know how we all are. We all wait till the last minute, right? We procrastinate. Uh, so, but they are putting new, new people in, in the testing centers. Uh, ours here in Williamson County is already uh, over, over utilized. I mean, it's, it's over capacity. Uh, so that was just a particular burden there. So, but they are putting new positions in and trying, to, and trying to get word out to people, don't wait till the last minute. If you don't have a passport and you're gonna be flying, you need to go get this done. If you have a passport, it's not as urgent. Right. Sam, are you really gonna let them shut down the post office at five points? I would, I have a, my post office box was due, the payment uh, for next month was due this month, and uh, so I went down there and asked Tom, who runs it, the contractor, and uh, he, I said, should I renew my uh, post office box? He said, yes. So that's, to me, that's a good sign, okay, for another year. Uh, there is, it is a, a contractor-operated facility, and I understand that they are looking at, for a new contractor. Uh, it is so important to the heart of our downtown district. Uh, it's uh, actually in Brandon's district, and um, so <laughs> mine is about five feet on the other side of the line. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I do my banking there, my, and uh, and I do have a post. I, I feel that uh, they will work it out. Tom sounded optimistic, and a new contractor will pick that up. Okay, I, I just wondered. The, uh, uh, we really hardly even talked about transportation and roads. Uh, Sam, you mentioned it a few minutes ago, but uh, what, uh, if you'll help us remember what is on the plan that we're not seeing dirt turned yet, and any any help that any of you could give us on that. Okay, uh, just real quick, uh, the uh, there were several projects listed on the three-year plan. Uh, one of the major ones that doesn't get a lot of attention is the interchange at Moores Lane and I-65. That's going to be a big big project. It's on the three-year plan. From downtown Franklin to Duplex Road in Spring Hill, US 31 is on a, uh, the three-year plan. And, and of course, we all know that Mac Hatcher, the Southwest uh, Quadrant, will be done uh, not this year, but next year. They're building an 1,100-foot-long uh, bridge to cover uh, across the uh, Harpeth River twice. And, but also, i got to give a shout-out to Spring Hill, what the, the city down there has done to work with the state and the federal government to get that I-65 interchange completed there. Is, and also, uh, Long Lane, they, they feel they will have Long Lane improvements uh, down to Duplex Road up to the new intersection there, or interchange on I-65 by 2024. And then also, it will cross I-65 to Lewisburg Pike. So it's going to open up that entire area. They were able to divert $25 million uh, to that project as uh, a jump start, but they're, they're moving along. It's in the construction phase. Now, that doesn't mean they're moving dirt, but they've already done the right-of-way, NEPAs, and, uh, and uh, preliminary engineering. But 
we're in a course Highway 96. 96 uh, over on the uh, east side is uh, is really looking good too. Uh, that's on the three-year plan that will connect from Triune over to 840. Uh, so uh, we we got our share of the money. Now it's going to take time, and uh, and if there's time for questions, there's a gentleman that knows a lot more about this than I do in the audience, and we can point him out afterwards if anybody's got any questions. Right, we Ken? We will uh, look around here and see who he's talking about here momentarily. Uh, Jack, uh, what about the southeast section of Mac Hatcher? Uh, southeast section, so that's uh, from 96 down to, uh, to Columbia Target, Pike. Yes. Yeah, by our houses. Yeah, that's right. uh, it's on the three-year plan, and if I could say, yeah, please, uh, chairman. It's, it's two lanes, and they are, it's going to uh, three-year plan to add an additional two lanes to that so, so that is in the three-year plan that is in the three-year plan and it's a I want to say like a 54 million dollar project so uh, Mac Hatcher um, in a couple years it will be uh, a lot better now, a lot of people say why don't you connect Mac Hatcher from 31 over to 96 Amen, but brother. what will happen is once they complete that interchange down in Spring Hill and the improvements on 31 and the bypass aisle 96, it will take a lot of need off for that connection in, in our lifetime, we hope. Okay, we can talk about that. But, uh, <laughs> you don't probably go there. <laughs> the uh, barely uh, touched on health care, welfare, things like that, and uh, the governor has had a health care task force uh, working for the past several months. Uh, do we know anything about what is going to come out of that task force and what? Uh, yeah, a, a little bit. It's, as everyone knows, it's, it's a very complex uh, subject matter. But, but a couple of things, our rural hospitals are closing, you know, at, at a fairly high rate. People say, well, you should have expanded Medicaid to save those rural hospitals. Well, hospitals lose money on Medicaid patients right, on 10 care patients. So it's like the old saying, the car dealer says, you know, I lose money on every job, on every sale, but I make it up in volume. It, it, it doesn't, you know, that doesn't, doesn't work very well. Rural health care, which the governor is very passionate about, as are we, um, we're blessed, we've got a great hospital here and we're close to Nashville, we're, we have great access to care. The, the, the concern we have in the rural communities is more about urgent care, okay? The days of going to your local hospital in a, in, okay, I'll wrap it up. So the days of going to, to, to your local hospital down the street to get your appendix out or have a baby, they're gone. It's just not gonna, you're gonna have to go to, a, to an urban center probably to get those kind of procedures. But what do you need in the rural areas? It's urgent care, it's, it's ER. If you're having a heart attack, you're in a car wreck, you have a stroke, you need that urgent care. And so a lot of it is figuring out how to provide emergency care. We can talk more next month about that. I shouldn't have jumped off into such a deep subject. With two minutes with left to go? Two minutes left to go. I kind of didn't look at the clock before I asked that question. My apologies. We've got tons of things to talk about next month and the next. And uh, we really appreciate our gentleman from the Capitol Hill coming down and spending time to help us understand all the issues and uh, why they're not so easy to make happen and uh, just really appreciate the time y'all put into this and uh, the effort. Uh, Dr. Smith, Columbia State, uh, Dr. Lampley, we uh, appreciate the accommodations here, beautiful facility and we certainly appreciate being able to have our meetings here. Uh, appreciate Vanderbilt and AT&T for uh, making a monetary uh, contribution to helping make this happen. 
uh, Community Coffee, is that our coffee sponsor? Again, Kel, and uh, couldn't do it without the coffee here at uh, 7 o'clock every morning. Uh, Kel McDowell, Nancy Conway, and the chamber staff, Griffin, Griffin Wilcoxon, and who else? Uh, Jenna, we uh, appreciate all you do to, to make us look good. Uh, Creed on uh, WCTV and his uh, TV crew make this look really good on uh, TV and, and on the YouTube channel. So just uh, if you wanted to take another look at it, uh, pull it up on YouTube. You can see us there. And Tom, we appreciate WAKM making it happen on the radio every Friday. Y'all, uh, come back to see us next month. It will be the last Friday in February, and we'll look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you. Thank you.